What are the risks associated with the rollout of a new generation of wireless networks? Why are Canadian, American and world health authorities failing to act on scientific studies pointing to health risks posed by radio frequency radiation? What kinds of pushback is being faced by citizen groups looking to prevent involuntary exposure to RF radiation? Does the common man and woman stand a chance of frustrating the plans of the big telecom companies? On this week's Global Research News Hour radio broadcast, in the lead up to a national day of action against 5G, we take a look at the hype surrounding this fifth generation of mobile communication networks and the potential for harm they pose to the public. In our first half hour, we'll get a breakdown by Meg Sears, a Canadian scientist and chair of the group Prevent Cancer Now, of the known health hazards associated with wireless radiation. We'll hear from Patty Wood of the non-profit information hub Grassroots Environment Education about efforts to protect the public from the 5G rollout. We'll also hear some comments from Victoria-based activist Walt McGuinness, who is involved in successful efforts to reverse the imposition of the so-called smart meter on people in British Columbia. On this week's program, the 5G revolution, human guinea pigs in big telecoms global experiment. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of May 10th, 2019. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabeg Akin, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. After the worst fighting seen in Gaza since the war in 2014, at least 25 Palestinians, including two pregnant women and a 14-month-old baby girl, have been killed in the past three days, while four Israelis were killed by rocket fire from Gaza. The violence started on Friday when the Israeli military and the militant group Islamic Jihad traded fire. Over the next two days, hundreds of rockets were launched into Israel from Gaza with the Israeli military pounding the besieged enclave with airstrikes and artillery. The fierce back-and-forth threatened to spill over into an all-out protracted war, but by early Monday, a ceasefire was reached between Israel and Palestinian factions. Those killed included one of the best English teachers in Gaza, two fathers of four, one an Israeli and the other a Palestinian, a man riding his bike and another at work, and a 12-year-old at home with his parents. That comes from the article, Named the People Killed in Gaza and Israel This Weekend, posted May 7th, originally published at Middle East Eye. Continuing to try to advance the U.S. narrative that Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido is the quote-unquote duly elected president, CNN went to the trouble on Sunday afternoon of inventing an entire election to base this around. In the CNN report, they declared, quote, Pressure is mounting on Maduro to step down following elections in January in which voters chose opposition leader Juan Guaido over him for president, unquote. 
there was no election in January. In reality, Venezuela's presidential election was held on May 20th, 2018. The opposition boycotted the vote. Maduro won with 67.8% of the vote, while Guaido did not participate at all. That comes from the article, Sloppy Journalism. CNN falsely claims Venezuela's Guaido was elected president in January by Jason Ditz, posted May 7th, originally published at antiwar.com. As Mint Press and other outlets have previously noted, even the U.S. government's own documents admit that the Houthis in Yemen are not a proxy of Iran and that Iran has no direction over their military actions. In addition, Pompeo's claim that any actions taken by any quote-unquote Shia militia group will be blamed on Iran shows that the Trump administration is now building a foundation to attack Iran for actions that include those over which Iran has no control whatsoever. Furthermore, given the vagueness of the press release, military action may not even be necessary to trigger a response, as the press release says that, quote, any attack on United States interests or on those of our allies will be met with unrelenting force, unquote. For instance, if Iran makes good on its promise to blockade the Persian Gulf in response to U.S. efforts to place a total embargo on its oil efforts, such a move could now be interpreted as an attack on U.S. interests or those of its regional allies, even though it would not expressly involve an offensive attack. In addition, given that the Trump administration also considers Hamas, which governs the Gaza Strip, a proxy of Iran, Future hostilities between Hamas and Israel, the U.S. main ally in the region, could also be interpreted as an attack on the U.S. or allied, i.e. Israeli, interests launched by an alleged Iranian proxy. That comes from the article, Bolton's vague press release lays foundation for military attack against Iran by Whitney Webb, posted May 7th, originally published at Mint Press News. In summer 2017, there was a dramatic split among Gulf Arab countries with Saudi Arabia declaring an embargo against Qatar for its support of terrorism. In reality, the move was aimed at cutting growing back-channel talks between Qatar and Iran, both of whom share the world's largest natural gas field in the Persian Gulf. The Qatari section is called Northfield, and its LNG is said to be the world's cheapest to extract making Qatar in recent years the largest LNG exporter. The adjoining Iran section is called South Pars. After spending a reported $3 billion financing anti-Assad and anti-Iran terrorist groups in Syria in a futile try to get a pipeline through Syria to Turkey and onto the huge EU gas market, it seems that the shifty Qataris, at some point after Russia's decisive entry into the Syria war in late 2015, realized it might gain more by shifting sides and covertly working with Iran and Assad and Erdogan to bring both Qatari and Iran gas to market. That comes from the article, Ever More Complex EU Gas Pipeline Geopolitics, by F. William Engdahl, posted May 6th, originally published at New Eastern Outlook. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar.
The world is on the cusp of achieving a revolution in the way we connect with each other and the world's information resources. Welcome to the 5G revolution ushered in by telecommunications giants like Verizon, AT&T, and Sprint. The faster communications and larger bandwidth will not only enable faster and more reliable cellular and internet communications, including improved streaming and downloading of high-definition videos, the new generation of wireless communications will usher in innovations, thus far relegated to the realm of science fiction scenarios. These include seamless virtual reality videos, efficient smart cities, and an Internet of Things with the potential to link driverless cars, robots, and other sensor-equipped products, as well as phones and computers. Artificial intelligence will be incorporated so as to place a lot of tedious duties out of the hands of humans and into entities acting autonomously. For example, smart homes able to order more eggs, milk, and cheese on their own via wireless connection with a supplier. This new generation of wireless technology involves the use of higher frequency radiation requiring the construction of millions of mini-mobile phone masts in urban centers around the globe. These broadband services will be assisted by orbiting satellites beaming microwave radiation in the 12 to 30 gigahertz range, leaving no corner of the globe uncontaminated by radiation. The promise of this technological wonderland is coming at a price, however, and has some health advocates concerned that an astronomical price will be paid for these marvels, not only in dollars and cents, but in human lives. To get a closer look at this downside, the Global Research News Hour reached out to a Canadian expert who has raised concerns about cancer as well as other risks associated with wireless networks. The group Prevent Cancer Now defines its mission as building a Canada-wide movement to eliminate the preventable contributors to cancer through research, awareness, education, and advocacy. Meg Sears is the chair of Prevent Cancer Now. Meg was trained in chemical engineering and applied chemistry at the University of Toronto, completed a doctorate in biochemical engineering at McGill University, and has diverse laboratory experience, including in energy research. Her achievements include writing the medical perspective on environmental sensitivities for the Canadian Human Rights Commission, leading to a policy under the Canadian Human Rights Act, conducting a scoping review on toxic elements with Canadian Institutes for Health Research and Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council funding, and numerous collaborations with members of the Environmental Health Committee of the Ontario College of Family Physicians and prominent Canadian environmental health and legal groups. Meg Sears joins us now from Ottawa. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Sears. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be able to do this. Now, could you share a little bit more about your personal background that's granted you some insights into the risks posed uh, by RF radiation? Radiofrequency radiation has been um, under the epidemiological microscope for quite a few years. Um, way back when radar first was being invented and used, it was examined for its health impacts and recognized that um, certainly the radar workers did have some health effects. And since it's been used for telecommunications over several decades now, it has gained um, a lot of attention. It's been examined, particularly in the context of brain tumors associated with cell phone use. But we now realize that this radiation itself has long been used, actually, in my 
first um, endeavors in chemical engineering. I had first heard about radio frequency radiation called microwave radiation in the summers when I worked at chemical engineering at U of T. Somebody was saying, you know, instead of heating up a pot uh, to basically cook or to conduct a chemical reaction, you can use much less energy if you just use a bit of microwave. And I thought at the time, well, all microwave does is heat, and so how can you get away with less energy when you need more energy? And um, it turns out that now there is a lot of evidence, and in fact people have commercialized using very low amounts of radiofrequency radiation to do what you would otherwise have to use a lot of energy in basic heating to accomplish. So this radiofrequency radiation actually can accelerate or what we call catalyze chemical reactions. So this is a standard practice in the industry. This is well known in industry. It's used in industry. It's commercialized. People are making money because radiofrequency radiation or microwave radiation, which are synonymous, microwave is a subset, um, will actually accelerate chemical reactions without a huge amount of heating. Now, when Health Canada, another whole section, um, looked at the possible health effects of microwave radiation as when it's used for telecommunications, it was concluded by Health Canada decades ago that the only kind of um, adverse effect that might come from use of this kind of technology results from heating of the tissue. So <laughs> when it comes to cell phones, Health Canada says the only possible bad effect can be heating, whereas we have commercialization of processes that cause biochemical effects without a lot of heating. Mm. And that's essentially how our body works. It's, uh, you know, we're the chemical part of biochemistry happening along with um, electrochemistry. So mm. if it can happen in a laboratory, if it can happen in a chemical reactor, if you can make money because it works so well, how come this radiation can't have biological effects. Well, of course it does have biological effects. Based on your research, could you maybe take us through some of the, the, these, the known health hazards uh, associated with the cell phones and, and the current state of wireless technology in its common usage? Well, what are some of the maybe the more uh, pronounced and uh, you know, virtually undebatable aspects? Well, at very low levels in um, laboratory studies, we think, see things like oxidative stress and DNA damage and in, um, in cell cultures and in animals. In animals, we also see effects on development and we see um, tumors um, promoted. In people, the easiest, you know, most obvious kind of study has been to look at brain tumors associated with radiofrequency radiation. So in 2011, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is associated with the World Health Organization, concluded on the basis of the evidence then that cell phone radiation may or possibly causes human cancer. Since then, we've had two large animal studies come out. We've had additional 
information on human studies. And so if such a panel were to be reconvened today, experts who actually participated in the previous process are quite convinced that today it would be concluded that cell phones do cause brain cancers. And we also see that in um, experiments with people and with animals and in um, samples of semen, that sperm are very severely affected. So the sperm quantities have been crashing across the world for the last few decades. And it's quite possible there are some chemicals involved as well, but there's very good evidence that sperm are adversely affected by cell phones in pockets and laptops on laps. What are the additional hazards associated with 5G that uh, the scientific literature is pointing to with regard to uh, the exposure, the anticipated exposure? We don't have very much research at all on the specific health effects of the 5G-associated um, higher-frequency um, wavelengths. There's actually amazingly little information on that because it hasn't been a practical type of radiation to use. And it still is really not all that practical. We do have better alternatives. Um, so on that part of it, we are kind of flying blind. It's absorbed by the surface of the skin, so there is speculation that it may increase um, melanoma. It can be dangerous to eyes, um, although it's relatively easy also to protect yourself against this. But it's... Uh, it's really hard to know what the health effects of that particular radiation is. However, 5G is going to require much higher levels of all of the types of radiation that we're already being um, exposed to. So this 5G is kind of a big, quick data pipe. But in order to use it in a building, we're going to have to be using the frequencies that we're already using. As a body that... Uh... Uh, encourages the, the, the talks about prevention as, as a means of, of mitigating the blight of cancer. Uh, I'm guessing that your, your group would be advocating for, a, I guess, a, embracing the precautionary principle, you know, and yet we're seeing this technology just rolling out uh, and what, they're just going to wait for stuff to happen before they take action? <laughs> I mean, what, what is the... Uh, um, as, as a, you know, for prevent cancer now, we have worked very hard to minimize the exposures to a lot of um, things, chemicals and radiation that may promote cancers. And cancer is not a single germ kind of thing. It's, you know, kind of a constellation of exposures that would predispose to development of cancer. So we certainly say that we should, you know, look before we leave. We should be Cautionary. And one of the most important things we say is that we should be using least toxic practices. So we have established technology already that is extremely fast, extremely high bandwidth, much more secure than 5G ever will be because we're broadcasting all of our personal information throughout the atmosphere. Um, and that is simply to be using a lot more wires and fiber. Out in the, uh, you know, across Canada, there are 
huge swaths of land and communities that have no access to to fiber. I, I cannot get fiber or cable in my house because I live on the outskirts of the capital of Canada. I don't live right downtown. So there is an alternative, and that's really what we promote, is to say we have this banquet of alternatives. We should be very picky about what we use. And the other issue with 5G is it actually requires a huge amount of greenhouse gases, a huge amount of energy in order to operate, whereas you can um, transmit the same amount of information using much less energy, much more efficiently, without a, a huge infrastructure using exotic materials in these antennae and so on, simply with the, what we already know. So the, the, the increased energy usage, is, is there studies or, or uh, you know, agreed upon statistics with regard to how much more energy is going to be used uh, once this uh, 5G um, internet and the internet of things is in place? It's not well defined because the actual scope and what will happen in the future is not well defined. Nevertheless, there have been um, studies put forward uh, comparing you know, the amount of information, the accessibility, and so on, the speed between using fiber and using 5G. Hmm. 5G is also supposed to um, be used for things like driverless cars and so on. And that's you know, very much down the road, very much, you know, very experimental. Yeah, well, part of the appeal with the driverless cars is that's supposed to reduce our, uh, you know, it's supposed to be more efficient that, uh, you know, eliminate some of the inefficiencies that might come from uh, human decision-making. So. Well, there's, there's certainly a lot of other alternatives in terms of public transit. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, if we are going to be using much higher amounts of radio frequency radiation and um, and creating a lot more greenhouse gases simply so you can know the number of eggs in your refrigerator because you can't quite decide whether you should be buying them when you're at the store and your phone has to check. Um, there's a lot of very frivolous things that are um, being put forward. They're saying we need it for virtual reality. Well, virtual reality experiences can be downloaded and then run. Um, there's a lot of other ways to accomplish the things that we're being told 5G is needed for. Children are uh, somewhat uniquely vulnerable uh, to exposure, and, and it seems like current industry practice isn't really doing enough to protect children or, or warn children and their guardians about the, uh, the impacts e even of the existing technology. Is that right? Well, there are um, pediatricians groups. The American Academy of Pediatricians has put forward a um, you know, statement Pediatricians are really um, paying a lot of attention to the amount of screen time that children are using. There's no doubt that that is um, affecting their development. There's um, considerable evidence regarding exposure to cell phones and um, cell phone radiation in utero and very early in development on subsequent behavioral um, problems in children and brain development. Now, it's hard to tease out how much of that is because of the radiation, although there is animal studies showing that, animals 
are not affected by their mother's cell phone use. Um, but in people, it is hard to say, well, the mother's not paying attention to the children, and that's the source of the problem versus changes in the child's um, brain chemistry as a result of radiofrequency radiation. It's probably a combination of both. Mm. But children are more vulnerable. They're, um, they're developing. Their brain is not protected as well from radiofrequency radiation. And in fact, um, the very aggressive brain tumors we have no data from Canada, but in the States, in um, adolescents and very young adults, the very aggressive brain tumors have been going up very, very quickly, so that we now have more brain tumors than we have um, leukemia and testicular cancer, which were more, um, which were the leading causes of cancer in that age group in the States. Hmm. Now, my... My understanding is that no international health authority has gone has done a rigorous scientific review of all the issues uh, related to wireless radiation. The internet, the IARC, uh, as you pointed out, uh, did a thorough review in 2011, given with the available cancer data. Um, but this information is yet to be updated. Uh, so with the, all the effort going into building this 5G infrastructure without applying the, the, the precautionary principle, in your experience, is this a common practice uh, with, in, in other areas, or are we making a, a special exception just for the wire industry? Oh, we, particularly in Canada, um, we have been entranced in the, with promises of wonderful things in the chemicals world. So in Canada, we have um, have bad health outcomes, and we have environmental problems as a result of chemicals that we permitted and then subsequently decided were not not very good. And so we have flame retardants in polar bears and in fish that are affecting child development in northern Canada. We have materials in fish in Newfoundland that are affecting people in Newfoundland. So in the chemicals world, we have seen cycles where a pesticide or a flame retardant or an anti-stick chemical was seen to be wonderful, and it took decades, literally, in order to prove that these were causing harm to the environment, causing harm to Canadians, and eventually to ban them. So this is a long, long history that's is also playing out in the radio frequency world. Now, the difference between that and the chemicals world is that generally they come up with another solution, another chemical that sometimes looks almost the same, but it's going to be much safer. So we've got this treadmill of one chemical after another. Now, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to come up with a different frequency. Um, this is basic physics. So we can expect to see... Um, other sorts of uh, <laughs> of radiation proposed. Right now, they're saying, well, the 5G radiation is a lot safer because it doesn't penetrate as deeply into the body. Um, that also means that it, the absorption is concentrated in the skin, so perhaps there is an extra risk associated with more concentrated absorption. Um, but it's basically, we've been going from the devil we know to the devil we don't, and we eventually figure out the devil we don't know, and we get to know him is really a devil as well. 
Well, Dr. Sears, I really want to thank you for, for acquainting our, our listenership with some of the um, underreported uh, medical risks associated with this uh, exciting uh, new technology. Um, and I, uh, I hope we can, have, we, sk- we can speak again, because there's certainly a lot of other uh, issues <laughs> related to you know, technology and uh, you know, cancer risks that uh, I think you'd be a very uh, important resource for us to get hold of. So. Oh, I'd be more than happy. And I think throughout life, if we can opt for the least toxic options, which is what our group says we have to do, in order to solve our environmental problems, our health problems, we've really got to switch our decision-making from you know, post-precautionary to best practices. Meg Sears, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with Meg Sears. She's the chair of Prevent Cancer Now. You can uh, find more about her group's work at the site preventcancernow.ca. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. In the United States, Wednesday, May 15th, has been declared a national day of action to stop what they're calling the big telecom experiment that is the 5G rollout. The main organizing group behind this effort is Americans for Responsible Technology, a 501c4 nonprofit representing more than 100 organizations from across the country concerned about the massive buildup of 5G technology in residential neighborhoods. Grassroots Environment Education is coordinating this effort. The group's executive director, Patty Wood, joined us by phone from Long Island in New York State. Thanks for agreeing to be on our program, Patty. Delighted to be here. Could you provide us some background on your group and and how it came to uh, work with these other groups to formulate this strategy? Sure. So, um... Grassroots Environmental Education is an environmental health organization. We um, have a mission to educate the public about the links between common environmental exposures and human health. And it's really a big job because we have so many emerging uh, environmental health issues uh, in our lives today that um, we work on many, many different things from uh, water contamination to plastics contamination uh, to uh, you know, food systems and uh, environmental exposures at schools and exposure to, um, you know, to pregnant women and how that might be impacting, um, you know, their, uh, their child that's developing. Uh, and so there are a lot of different things that, that we are involved in. Uh, and the wireless uh, revolution, uh, or our wireless world, we call it, um, is something that we need to pay attention to just because it is so ubiquitous. Uh, you really can't get away from it anymore. Uh, it's in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work, in our restaurants, and and our coffee shops, and our libraries, and everywhere we go, um, we're being exposed to this type of radiation. Now, some people are particularly sensitive, and it has really um, been uh, very, very difficult for them to manage to live normal lives anymore just because uh, they really feel um, physical pain and discomfort from being in, uh, in places where, uh, where there are, you know, you know, even the low levels, but 
certainly where there are significant levels of RF microwave radiation. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is just educate the public, and we're trying to find ways to reduce those exposures, especially in places where the most vulnerable people are. And the most vulnerable um, are usually children. Um, there are other vulnerable groups, like people with implanted medical devices, um, people who are already hypersensitive, um, you know, to this type of radiation. Uh, and, you know, so we're, we're quite conscious of, of trying to protect um, those who really can't protect themselves uh, and uh, just trying to create um, an awareness of this. And as people become more and more educated and aware of this, uh, they will demand uh, safer uh, ways to use technology um, without having these um, have, without having these health effects, Patty, both short term and long term. Patty, how well is the public generally in terms of their information uh, about what the dangers associated with the five G rollout and wireless technology generally? Uh, really, they have really very little information. Mm. Um, if you look at um, who our major advertisers are in media today, um, they are typically the, um, the telecom industry and pharmaceutical industry, um, just coincidentally. Um, but uh, we, uh, you know, we're, we're quite concerned that there is not a lot of information out there for the general public to, um, you know, to, to get their hands on um, to read about this. And, you know, another thing about our organization is that we are a science-based organization, and there are a lot of medical doctors and researchers out there who have no financial stake, of course, um, in, uh, in, their, in their work, um, and they, uh, you know, they are, you know, just out there, <laughs> you know, finding more and more and more things to, uh, you know, to, to worry about this type of radiation, especially since you can't get away from it anymore. And with 5G um, being rolled out, although it's you know at really you know it's really in the in its infancy as far as the rollout of this um, this new generation of wireless um, technology, but um, this is going to make it really impossible, even in our neighborhoods, uh, for people who have you know who have always thought of their homes as a safe haven and a place where they can go and they don't have to be exposed to things um, and now all of a sudden it's going to be at this involuntary exposure which is basically a like it or not you're going to be exposed um, type of scenario now the food and drug administration uh, mm -hmm. is working in conjunction with five other regulatory agencies including the federal communications commission the fcc uh, within a so-called radio frequency interagency work group mm -hmm. and the fda states uh, uh, on its website the following and i'm quoting mm -hmm. according to current data the fda believes that the weight of scientific evidence does not show an association between exposure to radio frequency from cell phones and adverse health outcomes. Still, there is consensus that additional research is warranted to address gaps in knowledge, such as the effects of cell phone use over the long term and on pediatric populations. How do you make sense of the failure on the part of these oversight bodies to recognize the dangers that watchdog groups like yours are citing? Yeah. So um, what's very interesting about that is that there was um, just recently um, a, when I say recently, over the past 10 years, uh, the NIH um, conducted a study through their National Toxicology Program, um, funded by um, by taxpayers for thirty million dollars, um, to determine definitively whether or not 
cell phone radiation could, ca- could cause cancer. Um, this came about because the World Health Organization actually determined that, uh, that cell phone radiation um, was a possible human carcinogen, although there are some researchers now that think that that should be upgraded to a known human carcinogen. But nevertheless, we, um, we decided that we had to do our own study. So this study was designed, and then the design was approved by the FDA and the FCC and the EPA and all these agencies that you're talking about. Um, and the study was approved, and, and, it, and it was conducted for all these years. And what happened at the end of the study, the data showed that there was clear evidence of carcinogenicity. That's their highest category, is clear evidence. And that was for tumors of the heart, schwannoma cells of the heart, um, tumors of the brain, the gliomas, and tumors of the adrenal glands. And then they found other tumor endpoints um, from that study um, in that, that had the classification of evidence, but not clear evidence, um, some evidence of carcinogenicity, but there was clear evidence. So then what do you do when you're an agency? I mean, the FDA is responsible for making sure that the, the um, devices that we use, the wireless devices that we use, which would be cell phones and laptops and so on and so on, um, are safe for humans to use or for the public. Um, and then the FCC is supposed to make sure that the infrastructure, of course, which drives all of these wireless devices, is safe. And we have literally thousands of studies from all over the world showing that, that, they, that they absolutely show that there is a risk to human health. And we're talking about neurological and cognitive effects. We're talking about reproductive effects, cancers, as we just mentioned, um, people who have electromagnetic hypersensitivity, and so on. So we are very concerned um, that we, as a, as a country, paid for this study to be done, uh, and we came out with the results, and then we're just ignoring it. In fact, the FDA's response was, well, that's only in rats that they found, that they found cancer. Well, this is the way we, this is the way we study everything. We, we, you know, we use the same rat models, um, you know, for studying, you know, the, the, uh, the safety of pharmaceutical drugs and other things that, are, that become available um, for the public to purchase. And so it's ridiculous to say, well, no, 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 we're not going to apply that to humans. We're just going to say that it's just the rats in the study that got cancer. Mm. So you can think what you want about that, but that's, that's, how, that, that's how that worked out. Yeah. Do you have uh, an opinion about the the extent to which uh, um, maybe regulatory capture, I think is the term? uh, Sure. I mean, you know what? I mean, this has been going on forever that, you know, that these agencies that that are supposed to protect the public, especially the EPA um, and, you know, and the FDA and so on and so on, are, you know, are, are staffed by and headed up by industry executives. It's the old revolving door situation. This is nothing new in Washington. Hmm. So they are, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, regulating an industry, but in fact they are enabling an industry. Um, and that's just how it goes. I imagine still, I imagine it's a challenge to publicly differ from with these authoritative bodies without sounding like to the general public like Chicken Little. Can you talk about any pushback groups uh, that groups, pushback that groups like yours have encountered 
uh, be it from political politicians, academics, media, or industry groups themselves? Well, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, this is science, and science has been, you know, relegated to, uh, you know, to the, to the back row right now. Uh, and we're not really listening to science. It's, it's industry that, and their own science that industry pays for, um, that, you know, comes out making everything smell like roses, um, that, they, that they cite as their own science. And, but you have to always look at, you know, uh, at, you know, at where the money comes from. It's, you know, follow the money. Um, but all of this independent peer-reviewed research uh, that we have, and to be honest with you, this is an, an extremely active field of scientific research. I mean, we're getting about 100 new studies every month, um, and that's a lot. That's a lot of studies, and none of these studies come, come back showing that there are no effects at all. So the fact that the FDA comes out and says, well, you know, we still think that more research needs to be done. Well, more research is being done. Lots of research is being done if they would care to stop and read it and, uh, you know, and actually take responsibility for, um, for protecting public health. That would be great. We would all appreciate that. The entire population of this country would appreciate if these agencies that are there to protect public health would do their job. Talk about the May 15th Day of Action. Uh, give us a so few... The May 15th yeah, the May 15th day of action is really, you know, an opportunity for, um, for many of these groups around the country to actually um, educate more um, of the public in their, in their area. Um, it's, and it's also to show the telecom industry that they would like them to, um, you know, to do something to reduce the exposure to this harmful radiation. And... You know, I mean, we know that, that all of these industries are very powerful. They have very deep pockets. But there's really only, thing one, only one thing that's more powerful than money, and that's public opinion. And so this was actually um, inspired by um, several groups, but one in particular um, that was very active and said that we're going to have a rally. We're going to have a rally, and we're going to, you know, bring moms with their kids, and we're going to talk about how, you know, we need to protect the most vulnerable in our society. We need to protect our kids in their own bedrooms, in their beds at night, from this 24-7, you know, exposure to this type of radiation, which we know from, um, from all this peer-reviewed science, you know, can cause serious harm. And so we thought, okay, that's a, that's a really good idea. So we just, you know, we got the word out to a few of these groups that we knew of that we had been in touch with, and they're like, yeah, let's just do this. Let's do this all over the country. And we thought, okay, it's really, you know, it's just an opportunity for people to, um, you know, to get out there and, uh, and get this, this message out, which is that we don't want to be exposed where we live. It's one thing to have a tower in a, you know, in an industrial park somewhere, that's, you know, that's a half a mile away, um, which is, you know, which is, uh, you know, giving us signals for our, our, you know, our cell phones and, uh, you know, and our computers and so on, and that's just fine. But having these things on telephone poles and lighting poles all over our neighborhoods is another thing altogether. Mm. Now, you're certainly encouraging people to do a lot of, uh, you know, research. Uh, there's, uh, you know, resources available at 5gcrisis.com, among others. What 
other actions, uh, specific actions, are you encouraging uh, people to take on once they've informed themselves? Well, we're not really encouraging anybody to do anything because the fact is that the FCC, um, back in September of 2018, last fall, actually um, did a rulemaking which took away all rights from the states and from local municipalities to do anything about um, the placement of these uh, of these cells. Uh, and so you really have no options, uh, you know, to speak of um, when the telecom companies come into your community and start putting up poles. There's really nothing that your local government can do about it. Um, so that's why we need the telecoms. And I don't know what, I, you know, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen, except that maybe there will be um, there will be a little bit more awareness about this issue uh, after the 15th, uh, if any local media picks up on it. Um, and that's really all we're trying to do. We're just trying to protect our kids. We're trying to protect an entire generation that basically have, you know, have been exposed to this in, in many cases since before they were born. And, you know, the results of these constant exposures and and both near-field and far-field exposures um, to this type of radiation um, is very, very worrisome. It seems like a very daunting challenge. The, it's, the, a, it's a huge challenge. Yeah, the big wireless okay. companies are so huge with all the financial resources yep. they've got, uh, yep. politicians at their beck and call. But are there any success stories in the U.S. or elsewhere in the world that might inspire listeners with the understanding that, that fighting against this agenda is not a hopeless or quixotic battle? Well, sure. I mean, there are places all over the world where they're just saying, nope, you're not going to roll out here, like the canton of Geneva in, Gen in Switzerland. They prohibited the construction of 5G antenna. Done. And that was just, in, just last month, in April. They just said, nope, we're, we're, we are putting a ban on the construction of 5G antennas, and uh, they were, they're looking at investigations into the health implications. And, of course, you know, the, the, um, the 1996 Telecommunications Act, the FCC Telecommunications Act, said you cannot fight the sighting of any of these antennas based on environmental reasons. And then there was a a lawsuit, and the judge ruled that environmental reasons also included health reasons. And so people are just afraid that they can't say anything about their children's health. They were worried about, you know, this, you know, all these exposures because the FCC law says, boom, can't say anything about it, can't fight it. <laughs> but there are places where, um, you know, there are, there are, you know, there are, uh, you know, there are states and there are lots of places around the world um, like Brussels, for instance, uh, Brussels in Belgium, um, they have halted a high-speed, you know, 5G wireless um, internet uh, due to the fears of health of citizens. Once again, it's all about the health. Um, in France, they're um, not allowing, uh, you know, just they're not even allowing, you know, wireless uh, in in libraries and in some hospitals, and you know, so there are places around the world where they're beginning to look at the science, the science and take it seriously. And that's what we're just trying to do. We're just trying to get people to look at the science. Here it is, it's in, in black and white. Just read it and tell me if you think this is a good idea after you read the science. Patty, I want to thank you so much for sharing so this, welcome. For this information and uh, for your perspective. Uh, 
sharing that with our listenership. It's much appreciated. You're welcome. We've been speaking with Patty Wood, Executive Director of the nonprofit public interest group Grassroots Environment Education. You can access more resources about 5G, wireless, and other concerns in relation to the May 15th Day of Action at the website www.5gcrisis.com. Walt McGuinness is a Victoria-based political activist, citizen journalist, and co-host of Citizens Forum, a local political affairs program. He's also the past president of StopSmartMeters.ca, a citizens coalition to reverse BC Hydro's imposition of the so-called smart meter without due consultations and at great cost to British Columbians. Walt McGuinness appeared on Guerrilla Radio, the public affairs program hosted by Chris Cook, which aired on November 15th of last year on University of Victoria-based station CFUV 101.9 FM. The following is an excerpt from that broadcast. The thing is that the fifth generation of of this type of technology, they are now using an even higher frequency. It's 27 to 30 gigahertz. Uh, 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 frequency, which is about 10 times higher than what we're using right now, but they're also using a technology where the phones are like communicating like using uh, laser beams. Before, you were just chucking radiation out in the environment and hoping another receiver would pick it up and away we go. But this is aimed like laser beams. And now we know that this type of technology is dangerous. And this is the interesting thing about the connection with the University of Victoria, because the University of Victoria played a big role in developing this technology to mm-hmm. use for military purposes. Mm-hmm. And they developed the electromagnetic gun back in the late 90s uh, and the early 2000s. And uh, I've, done lot, I've done access to information uh, requests and, and, and dug up the people who are involved. But here we are at, at your university that you're setting in right now. They develop technology using electromagnetic guns to harm people. Hmm. And then they turn right around and say, oh, no, this technology is safe. Well, yeah, we got to talk about that sometime. That's all news to, to me, Walt. If I you... know. It's astonishing. Well, but it's, you... it is totally true. They, you know, the, the companies that were involved, the, you know, I did all the work on it. And, of course, they've all disappeared now, haven't they? Hmm. And when I did, a, I did another access information last year in which they have none of this information is no longer available. Right. So it just, <laughs> it, it just evaporates. I thought that stuff on the Internet was there forever. Well, if, yeah. if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Grill Radio. I'm speaking today to Walt McGinnis. Walt is a Victoria-based political activist, citizen journalist. He co-hosts uh, with Jack Etkin uh, Citizens Forum uh, over there on Shaw TV. Um, he's also the past president of Stop Me, uh, StopSmartMeters.ca. Uh, they, they stopped it for a while here. They, they got a moratorium on smart meter installation in 2011. I guess that was overturned, uh, overturned then, uh, Walt, because we got them now. Well, they were able to do it, and I want to, you mentioned that, uh, and I want to just give a special thank you to Sharon Noble for the work that she did on this, and she really did lead the way uh, in the fight against the smart meters, and she still is. Um, but, you know, the the Union of BC Municipalities passed a resolution that asked for a moratorium on uh, on smart meters until they were checked out to be safe and all that. 
um, the government, the provincial government, just ignored that mm-hmm. and, and rolled it out. And there's no, there's no, there's no relief from that. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the Liberals, the the NDP, or the Greens, for that matter. None of them are looking at this issue seriously. Well, now, I want to mention something here before we get off the air, and that is, it's a, this is an appeal. This is the most exciting thing that's been happening uh, in this issue for many, many years. Uh, Arthur Furstenberg uh, from the Cellular Phone Task Force at one time, uh, he and some friends have launched an appeal to all global global governments. Now, anybody can go to their website and sign this appeal, and you can Google it. It's very easy. If you just uh, Google spaceappeal.org, mm-hmm. and you're going to not only find this appeal, but an incredibly concise and accurate review of the uh, of the scientific status of this issue as well as the political and social issues so it's a it's a it's a great place to go if you want to go and learn about this okay it's spaceappeal.org yes correct well well so well, what what does 5g look like now i mean i i assumed when i first heard about it oh it's just you know more of the same but this is this is actually this means a, a transformation in uh, infrastructure and uh, and it's going to be the costs of which look like i mean the canadian government i think the number i saw has already plopped down half a billion dollars that they admit to likely more considering the quality of the commercial i played earlier Oh, it, it, it's in the billions and billions of dollars, you know. Uh, it, it, the amp ramifications are astonishing. Now, the thing is, now, right up here in Brentwood Bay, they've already started to build a 5G network. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they place transmitters every 100 meters okay. into a grid pattern in the neighborhood. So you say Brentwood uh, got around 100 or 110 uh, transmitters on their streets now waiting for activation. And when they once that gets activated, there's going to be a 24-hour day, seven day a week, emissions from those transmitters, and they're very close to homes and 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 and, and where people live and 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 uh, walk in their neighborhoods. Now, this is what's different: is that the radiation is coming in closer to us. Uh, these transmitters are in closer to us. They're much more higher power level. At a level now that we're seeing cellular responses that were never seen before, uh, more acute responses. So it's not just oh a little bit a little bit of the same. No, this is a new technology that really really attacks uh, human health and all all animals. Well, I, that was my next question. I mean, if they're up on their uh, people might have a sense of security that these transmitters are way up on top of uh, light standards or telephone poles or whatever, wherever they're placed communicating above our heads with each other. So, hey, you know, what it, it must, uh, the, the effects must well, you fade. Know, you with... can kind of imagine like this. You know, you, everybody probably, most people have routers in their homes and their wireless routers and all that. Well, what's happening really is they're just putting their router on, out on the hydro pole outside their house. Mm-hmm. And they're adding more features that you can do with it. Well, when you say it, it's harmful not only to humans is where I was going with that. It's just like up there in the sky, there's birds, there's insects oh my God. and stuff. What, what studies, if there have been any, uh, Walt, have been done to, uh, to meter the effects on other creatures? Now, there is one. I just read it, and I, and I wish I could find it here in my notes. But if you go to the uh, spaceappeal.org and read the literature, you're going to stumble upon it. But in, in Puerto Rico, uh, back in the 90s, they, uh, 
where they are monitoring insect life very carefully and doing research on it. And in 1997, they started they started to know that was incredibly steep decline in insects. Uh, uh, up to a 70 or 80 percent decline in all insects, mm -hmm. and that was the year that they turned on their cellular phone network. Right. So, I mean, this is not a study. This is just an observation. Yeah. And you have to realize too, like globally, insects are dying in remarkable speeds, yeah. and uh, all the controversy around uh, the. Um, I think called neonicotinoids. Right. This is the, and, the and, bees and and, and, uh, and the death of bees. Well, which is really, if you look at it, it, could be associated with the death of bees. But what's really weakening bees, as well as all insects, according to a lot of this literature, is the radiation in the environment, mm -hmm. which is going up every day with all these new different technologies. So we are in trouble, Chris. I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, I know most people that are listening to us right today are just going to find some of this information shocking. Uh, most will just shut down and not listen to it. Um, and I think you and I both know that we – why do we do this? Why are we talking to each other? Well, we'd like to see some real changes, and we'd like to help educate the public of the real hazards. But the problem is is that the the threat is so great that we have – the general public more or less locking up and not wanting to hear it mm. because it's just too terrifying. It's like the, the discussion around climate change or, or the threat of nuclear war. Now we have this issue, mm. and it's just like most people are just shutting down. Well, again, it's spaceappeal.org. I'm also looking at another site here, uh, saferemr.com, and they've got a lot of links to articles. And this is from uh, Dr. Joel uh, Moskowski down in uh, California there at the uh, School of Public Health at the University of California, Berkeley. And it looks like a pretty good site as well. That's Oh, Safer yeah. You EMR. know, the bioinitiative report is always good. Uh, if you can spell bioinitiative, you'll find it online. Well, you're asking a lot of our audience. <laughs> just kidding, Because <laughs> I audience. spell it just, wrong every time. But, you know, the bioinitiative report yeah. is a general review of the, of the status of the situation, and they give out lots of, uh, lots of advice and suggestions on how to change regulations and how to change them. Uh, and it's uh, a very positive sort of report where pub the public can take that report and take that right to their to their uh, to their leaders and say, hey, "Okay, you guys, we got to change something, and this is the this is a framework where we can use." You can hear the entire interview by visiting GorillaRadio.com and scrolling down to the November fifteenth, two thousand eighteen archive show. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can listen to our programs every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download each episode from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. Thanks this week to Chris Cook and CFUV's Gorilla Radio for sharing their interview audio. I'm series host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Join us again next week.